welcome to the Intelligent Growth Podcast, the ultimate guide for go-to market leaders who aspire to engage and influence their target relationships to market more impactfully, sell more profitably, and create customer evangelists. We're going to help you strategically navigate the customer lifecycle journey from awareness through purchase and all the way to material value creation for your clients. Your hosts have worked with hyper-growth, mid-market, and global enterprises and understand the unique challenges and opportunities CMOs, CROs, and CCOs face when they embark on marketing sales and customer success motions. Get ready to unlock the potential of your unique go-to market strategy, transform your perspective into powerful campaigns, and position yourself as the world-class revenue growth benchmark. This is the Intelligent Growth Podcast with your hosts, Jen Cords and David Knorr. Hi, everybody. Uh, David Noor. want to welcome you to another episode of our Intelligent Growth with my uh, partner, Jen Kortz. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? Great, thanks. For the audience, uh, we're excited to share this episode really focused on OKRs, NPS, and something we call fast goals. And the reason we thought this was valuable is as we approach the end of the year, uh, more and more astute uh, leaders we're working with are looking at really lessons learned from this year. And that's really critical is what went well this year. I, I know we always talk about, you know, Jen, you believe it's November and usually you look at a calendar and yep, yep, it actually follows October. So it, it works that way, right? Um, but beyond the fact that the year always seems to fly by, I'm always curious as to what did we really learn? What went well? Where was the headwind? Where, where did we benefit from some tailwind? And more importantly, how do we learn? How do we take these learnings and uh, immediately apply them to the very next opportunity? Immediately apply them to the next quarter, next kind of key strategic initiative. And there's no shortage of tools. And we're going to talk about those in a second. But I think there's a bigger play here, which is how do you build, uh, regardless of the size of the team, how do you build a culture of accountability? How do you really raise the bar, particularly since we're increasingly working more remote? How do we not micromanage people? Because you're not down the hall. I can't just walk down there and see what you're doing or ask you, how's that project going? We have to instill more trust. And trust and accountability go hand in hand. And I've always said relationships go bad with misaligned expectations. So when you build a culture of accountability, what you're really doing is recalibrating expectations and, and really nurturing that relationship to ensure or we clear that we're on the same page, that these are the things we have to get done with this project, with this initiative, this month, this quarter, this year, whatever it may be. So again, the goal, Jen and I already know this. We're doing this with our global clients. We want to share insights with you that might be particularly helpful. So again, Jen, I'm gonna kind of jump in and uh, and start asking you know asking you for our audience who may not be familiar with these terminologies. Can you just share what an OKR is and and where can I buy an NPS? <laughs> sure. So an OKR is an acronym that stands for Objective and Key Results, and uh, it's a lot of times what organizations use to track their big strategic goals. And then they boil those down into individual contributor uh, 
tasks or objectives that they're supposed to be getting done uh, on an annual and or quarterly basis. And then an NPS is called a net promoter score. A lot of times it's leveraged by uh, product marketing teams and or customer success teams. And it really uh, boils down to just trying to keep a, their temperature or their finger on the pulse and temperature check uh, customers and the sentiment around their product or service. And so uh, in your introduction, David, you mentioned fast goals. A lot of people have probably heard of smart goals. How do fast goals differ? Yeah, so I, I love uh, I, you know if you if you've heard of you know smart goals of of uh, you know it's specific, it's measurable, it's uh, you know action oriented, it's time bound, and 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 you know the smart goals have been around for a while. I can't take credit for this. Uh, I'm gonna try to share my screen. Uh, this was a uh, um, MIT Sloan is a great magazine that I that I subscribe to and I'm a big fan of their work and um, they they published an article you can can you see the screen okay yes they published a, an article where they talked about you know beyond smart goals if you really want to convey a broader sense of uh, visibility if you want to convey a broader sense of um, accountability uh, and transparency, they suggested what they called fast goals. And if you, again, there's an acronym that it stands for, you can see on the screen, frequently discussed. You know, goals should be discussed on a regular basis. I, I love visible goals. We've worked with clients where we put people's goals on, you know, the posted sticky notes on their, on their, you know, the big poster size on their doors. So everybody's crystal clear on what I'm trying to do and, and how I'm trying to do it. And again, that becomes a lot more difficult when we're hybrid or we're not working closely together, but they should be frequently discussed. The, the idea of a, you know, goals as a George Foreman grill of set it and forget it, I think are, are, are passe. So, so really creating, and you see the benefits, really creating an opportunity for uh, discussion around the goals. Ambitious. Um, you know, a lot of people will do the minimal accepted kind of, hey, I'm doing my job. I've always believed in performance-based metrics and compensation because they should be ambitious. They should be difficult, but not really impossible to reach. And you've heard the old adage, if you reach for the stars, even if you fall short, you'll still be further along than where you are now. Um, specific, obviously, we talked about that. Concrete metrics, milestones, they force clarity on, you know, I tell our team that I'm allergic to vagueness. I don't know what better means. How much better? How, what does that better look like? So when it's specific, you kind of give it a unit of measurement and it becomes a lot more commonly understood. And then obviously transparent. You know, I, these are my goals. I, I'm not going to share those with you because I don't need to share my goals with anybody. That doesn't help, right? So transparency. Here's what I'm trying to get done. Here's and, and by the way, it creates, I know the last thing any of us need are more pressure. It creates visibility on my progress and accountability to myself and others. So Peer pressure is actually not a bad thing of, look, here's what I committed to doing. No way in hell I'm going to come short. So if I have to, you know, put the extra effort in to make sure we get there, which, by the way, also leads itself nicely to, to the ambitious. So I coach a lot of teams to really think about not just the smart goals, but also fast goals. And, and more importantly, how they can they can benefit in, in you know, you're thinking differently about um, you know, how do I transparently create that accountability? So Jen, I'm going to come back to you. 
Um, why do you believe OKRs, and we've seen this with our clients, are misunderstood or just not implemented as, as impactfully as they could be? Well, there's there's a lot of reasons why. And uh, through conversation, you and I came up with a list of about 14 different reasons. Uh, we'll post the whole list in our Avnir forum uh, after today's session. But a couple of the the big ones, the, the ones that we see recurring across a lot of our clients, first and foremost would be a lack of understanding of what the concept of an OKR is. And so an OKR process, when the company is adopting it, they don't actually properly introduce or explain or even train and enable the managers and then the team members and the individual contributors to understand what it is uh, supposed to be, how it's supposed to be tracked, how does it roll up to the to the macro strategy for the company, uh, and why are they important? And the other differentiation that we see them suffer from is uh, knowing how OKRs differ than goals or tactical tasks that they need to get done on a regular basis. And so making sure that there's clear definition between what an OKR is and is not, and then what are goals and tactical tasks is something that we see uh, clients uh, struggle with regularly. Another big one would be, uh, I mentioned it, lack of alignment to the macro company goals. And so everybody had like the company has goals for the year, but then every department kind of goes off into their own little corner and says, okay, well, these are our goals. And sales says, these are our goals. And nobody's talking and understanding the dependencies between the two different departments. And so then sales may have a goal or an OKR that marketing needs to help support, but marketing no longer has the capacity to support sales. And then both of their OKRs are not going to be fully completed well because they, they can't uh, allocate the appropriate time. The other thing you and I've seen is, is again, that set it and forget it, right? It doesn't seem like we, we kind of insufficient or lack of coming back and reviewing them and making course correction of, you know, if we fall, if we fell short, wh why is that? And how do we kind of adjust accordingly moving forward versus just kind of ensuring that's written in blood or stone or something? Well, and to your point, the set it and forget it, they they set these OKRs either now during their annual planning for 2024 and aren't going to look at them necessarily again until next year when they're doing planning to see, OK, did we hit it? Did we not? There aren't any checkpoints along the way. Um, and to your point, they don't uh, adjust the, the goals as the year goes on. Uh, budgets may change uh, capacity may change, team members may change, yet the OKRs are never reviewed and modified to accommodate for those things. Two, two other things came to mind as we were talking. One is when you were talking about alignment, um, I think we walked into one client and they had like 30 OK or like too many. Like it just, you know, every single piece of the business they created OKR for. And I'm like, I can't remember what I had for breakfast today. So much less, you know, 30 OKRs. So too many is one. The other thing I think I mentioned to you, I, I, you know, we asked a handful of people about the nuances of their OKR environment and they couldn't answer really simple questions, which just, I always assume good people and good intentions, but the lack of training kind of came up. It's just kind of lack of reinforcing, not just what it is, but why we're doing it and why this thing matters. 
Absolutely. And that lack of, of understanding, we've also walked into clients before where the team members look at OKRs as part of their performance evaluation. And performance evaluations are very, very different. Um, and a lot of times performance evaluations don't allow team members or don't encourage team members to be ambitious with their goal setting. And the OKRs, very similar to those fast goals that you were talking about, the OKR should be something that's going to push or stretch the organization to move that the organization forward in a really meaningful and impactful way. And if an, a team member confuses OKRs with the performance management, then they may just try and stay status quo versus pushing the bar. Yeah. Two, two other things again come to mind, you know, the idea of we've walked in some places where it's just a, a checkbox. Oh yeah. We do OKRs. Same thing with NPS, right? Oh yeah. We do NPS, but you start to peel back the cover. No, you really don't. Maybe it's a conversation in a meeting, but it's not the rigor and the discipline that, that years ago, Andy Grove and, and company who came up with that, you know, concept. And then it became, Google and a, and a book and and so so it's it's really taken a life of its own and and it's it's it goes back to commonly uh you know mentioned seldom really understood it reminds me of um and some of our audience may not remember this lean six sigma and again mm -hmm. it was a big ge movement and and a lot of people talked about it a lot of people didn't understand it and didn't understand the rigor that it took to do it and the other thing you mentioned about performance i, I think of um not celebrating enough. We've sat in, we've sat in on reviews where, you know, okay, so we missed a few of the OKRs, but you know what? We still hit a few. So celebrating those and making enough time to celebrate and, and really the space to celebrate, I think is important. Yes, I would absolutely agree. And I just want to circle back to what you were saying about uh, how it's a commonly discussed tactic, but not really greatly understood. I would say that the like agile workflow and creating sprints for your work is also something that is commonly discussed now because a lot of developers leverage agile workflows and they work in two-week sprints and they do uh, capacity planning and things like that. But that also, to implement something like that for a marketing team, you have to implement a cultural change as well. And so the whole organization needs to commit to doing business in a different way to implement uh, those changes. And, so, so and it's as much of a cultural, when I, you know, it, and that's the real thing we want to convey is beyond the tool, this is this is a cultural shift that most people don't think about in planning and in, in, in really leading up to the, the rollout or execution of it. And then, and then continue to train and develop the team of why we're doing this and why it matters. We've heard people say, well, we tried that several years ago and didn't work then, so it can't possibly work. Yes. And and sometimes it's it's the new pet, it's dubbed as the new pet project of whatever new leader has been brought in. And so again, it kind of gets a stigma of, oh, well, we're only going to be doing this for as long as that person's around. And that's not really a great way to set it either. So it needs leadership support. It needs common uh, understanding and implementation across the board. 
uh, we see clients, like you said, struggle with understanding the difference between this and performance goals. And then they also just set them and forget them. And that's never a good way to set your strategy either. So moving on from OKRs, uh, and like we said, we'll put the full list of the 14 different points and kind of an explanation of each. We'll put that list into the forum after today's session. But moving on to another commonly discussed uh, acronym, but rarely understood, is NPS. Uh, David, you and I have talked about several times with a lot of customer success teams, their NPS scores and how are they tracking it, uh, understanding customer sentiment. So where do you believe and why do you believe NPS currently falls short? Yeah, what, what I love about NPS is really its simplicity. So, so yeah, we could do a 75-question survey, but you're going to get a lot of people abandoning it at about question number two. Right? It's just like the treadmill that I bought to get in shape and by second week of January, it becomes a really expensive coat hanger, right? So so it's a very simple question of on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or a colleague? And, and zero to, you know, I think six is negative, seven and eight are neutral, nine and 10 are positive. And you subtract the positive, you discount the neutral from the negative and you get a percentage. So, so very simple to understand. Here's, and again, same thing. Jen and I put our heads together and prep for this. We came up with a whole list that we'll put on uh, avnir.com slash resources. I would encourage you to go check out the, our, our forum uh, and you can get access to it there. But, um, you know, the score itself tells you what's happening, not necessarily why. So sentiment analysis that asks follow-up questions from the score. Let's just say somebody gave you a, a seven. So it's, it's neutral, it's not negative, but it's also not exactly positive. And then you ask one or two follow-up questions and the person says, well, the experience with Jen was fine. They're not exactly raving about you. So, so really important to dig into that. And that's why we use sentiment analysis because you know there's several tools and engines that Jen will talk about in a second that really help extract what are those keywords that, that should give you um, insights. Number one. Number two, you get one data point. That's all you have is one data point. How many of us have traveled? And I love my local airline, but I recently had a crappy experience in my local airline. Doesn't mean it's a crappy airline. It's just that one incident didn't go well. So you have a point. You get two points. Now you have a line. Oh, the last two trips have been a little challenging. Huh? It's not just an isolated incident. Now it's a point. You get three points, now we've got a trend. Whoa, whoa, whoa. My last three experiences with this airline has declined. Now as a customer, I'm gonna explore other options or I'm gonna explore other brands or I'm gonna find another. And customers always, always have an option. Um, we're working with a, a piece of software. They'll go unnamed at the moment. And, and, and we signed up because a colleague who's no longer working with us suggested it. And we, we never got really onboarded. We're, we're pretty intelligent. We figured it out. But we figured out that it doesn't do what we needed to do. So you go back to them and say, I used this for a month out of the year. Sorry, no fund. And um, we'll cancel it when it's renewed. And it's just like, okay, not only it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth about you. And, and we recommend a lot. We, we talk a lot. We share a lot with clients. But I'm never going to use your platform again. And, and it's it's really unfortunate because they don't pick that up that we've, we've consistently, we've shown them multiple data points where that sentiment has dropped. 
So, um, and again, don't lose sight of this just a score. Two, you need multiple data points. Other things, you know, segmentation oversight. You know, not everybody's going to be, you know, created equal when they give you responses. Um, cultural differences. In some environments, I'm going to say yes, 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 but I mean no, 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 no. So, so don't, don't, you know, don't be biased. Don't be blind to those cultural differences. Uh, gave me the system, you know. Um, you're going to get a survey from us right after this experience, and we would love a 10. Um, well, no, you didn't earn a 10. And people game the system all the time, particularly if they know, back to your performance compensation, performance me measurements, if they know it's somehow tied to a bonus or some sort of performance-based. Um, there's no benchmarking in many organizations we walk into. We've got a 47. I, I don't know. Is that good? Is that bad <laughs> compared to what, right? Um, there's inconsistent measurements. We measure the temperature of the room. I don't care about the temperature of the room. We care about the food or you measure the food and it was a really uncomfortable, you know, seating environment. So you're measuring the wrong things in, in, uh, in your NPS efforts. Um, the other thing, the last comment I'm going to make, and then I love your take on it is I've always believed you should worry about people who go away mad and not say anything. So NPS tends to ignore the detractors. The people that give you zero through six, uh, number one, you should be grateful that they actually gave you any kind of input. But number two, what a phenomenal opportunity. And that is not that. And let, let, me, let me say this with, with, with as, you know, clear, as much clarity as I can. That is not permission for you to now spam them with 75 additional emails in some automated engine. That is a phenomenal opportunity. If you really care, pick up the phone. There's this, there's this antiquated device called a telephone where you hit these buttons and the person's voice picks up on the other side. And J John, my name is David. I, I work at this brand. We recently sent you a survey and you gave us a three, which is a, a really poor experience out of 10. Number one, I want to apologize. Number two, the reason I'm calling is I'd love to learn more about your experience with us. I'd love to learn what went wrong. I'd love to learn the one thing we could have done to improve this. Now, it's I'm, I'm, I, I am floored of how many organizations don't do that. And this is prevalent in the SaaS world where you're so hell-bent on ARR. I'm going to go get that next logo, that next customer, that next whatever. And you're forgetting about NRR, net revenue retention, which is you retaining me at the next time my software is up for renewal. And because you haven't touched base, because you're ignoring or neglecting detractors, you don't really get any insights into that. But Jen, otherwise, I have no opinion about this topic whatsoever. None whatsoever. Well, I would also take it a step further. We've talked about this in previous episodes when we're talking about customer success and the onboarding and that experience. And at hotels, when you check out, they ask how your experience was. And we've previously discussed how you need to enable your team members to actually do something with the feedback that they're then given. What we've seen in some of our global clients is that they are asking the NPS questions and they're collecting that and they have all the reasons and people that are giving feedback on well, why did you score us that way? They gather all of it. They're not really doing anything with it. It's just, it's sitting there. And so 
to our point earlier about OKRs being a checkbox item, that's that's what they treat the MPS as as well. And so to your point, call the people who are scoring you low or follow up via email and, and call if you have their phone number. But also I would take it a step further is NPS regularly asks the same question every time. And while it is good to measure the same uh, data point, and so you can get that trend over time, change the second question. Or as someone engages with your product or service, have your NPS be intelligent to ask a follow-up question that is meaningful to the person, because then you're going to elicit better responses and they're actually going to engage more because if you get asked the same question, oh, it's every month, here we go, same question, I'm just going to like choose one, they, they start getting complacent. But if you start asking different questions and they kind of have to think about their experience, you'll get more of that real feedback. Uh, and you can circle back to the, to the previous questions. Maybe it's once a quarter you ask the same question so you can get the quarterly trend, but intelligently change your NPS so it can give you insights that you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, you, you bring up a great point of, of huge opportunity for follow-on dialogue. It, relationships are built on conversations and NPS is an innate, should be an enabler of that conversation. I, don't, I almost like don't care what the score is. I wanna call them back and say, why did you give us not just a three? Why did you give us a seven, right? Why, why did you give us a nine, right? I'm grateful for you and the nine. Give me one thing. And, and you brought up the hotel thing. You know, every time we check out, you know, we, we always, you know, not, not, not just when we checking in and, and you walk up and checking in. No, I, I'd like to have my tires changed. Do you guys do that here? Uh, but when you check out, how was your stay? It, it was, what does everybody, 99% of people say fine. Versus change that one question to, you know, so, you know, so grateful you stayed with us. What's the one thing we could have done to improve that? And as you mentioned, not, not just a better question to, to create a great conversation, but then bring that back full circle and do something about it. So if I give you input on one piece, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking for the bell curve because you, you're never going to make everybody happy and people are going to complain whether it was too hot or too cold. But, but the, the bell curve, if, if four, five, six people say the same thing about an experience, that's an opportunity. So call centers, uh, I think customer, as we talked about customer you know, success organizations, phenomenal opportunities for product development, for improving the sales or marketing motions. Your marketing people pester the crap out of me. Okay, let's go back and see how many emails have we sent to this person or you know, I've gotten calls from eight different reps. I honestly don't know who my rep is. Let's go back and look at maybe our sales force. So, so that's that's my question of you. Are, are there some popular or what or what have you seen as popular OKR or NPS tools that that our clients are implementing that really works well in in their environments? Yeah. So, I mean, like all technologies, there's there's plenty of choices. Uh, there's the big players and there's the smaller players that have come out. Uh, in the OKR space, some of the bigger players are like Week Done and Asana has a OKR tool. There's also something called Workboard um, that you can set OKRs. And I actually really do like Workboard and Week Done because they not only allow the organization to set OKRs, but then you can also 
map your individual OKRs up to the to the organization level and see the dependencies. And you can also look at if there's certain departments that are getting taxed too much in what is trying to be achieved. Um, and so you can help balance that. So week done and work board are really good at that for OKRs. From an NPS perspective, uh, one of the bigger players is called Qualtrics. And it is a great, it is a great tool. There's <clears throat> another one called Gainsight. And these are deep integrated into your Salesforce CRM systems. They should be part of your sales motion. Uh, there's another smaller tool. It's called Qualaroo. And I really like it because it actually goes beyond just the NPS. And so it, it allows you to have some of those intelligent questions. So if somebody answered the same question twice before, it'll have other questions sort of in the background. Or if they've answered a low score previously, the follow-up question is actually intelligent. You can build it and map it in a way that you can gain some really great insights there. But not only does it ask the MPS, it goes further than that. And it'll also map to the number of phone calls that your customer success or salespeople have made to them. It'll integrate to your ticketing system, like your support ticketing system to understand, okay, well, we just asked the NPS. They have 12 open support tickets. The last phone call that the customer success person made was two months ago, and it'll actually flag that account and send it up to either whoever you designate it to go to, but it's generally like a customer success manager or even back to the salesperson who originally signed the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't allow those things to sit in the system. And that, that tool is called Qualaroo. So I really like tools that allow you to go a little bit deeper other than just that surface level NPS. For our audience uh, in our Facebook and YouTube and and uh, and and the Nord Group Facebook and YouTube accounts, uh, and along with Avnir, We've also put a couple of lists together for you, and we'll put this in the form as well. That might be useful if you're exploring how to uh, look for technology in this area. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, as we've talked about for this whole episode about OKRs and NPS and FAST goals, they all are creating a sense of accountability for organizations. And so how, nor are you approaching advising our clients to create this heightened sense of accountability. And as they're planning for their 2024, uh, what sort of top recommendations would you have for people to consider these? Yeah, I, I, and I love this, uh, you know, talking about tools and talking about OKR and NPS, it reminds me of, of the, of the uh, tail wagging the dog, right? They really are just that. They're, they should be an enabler and not a replacement for that cultural shift that we talked about earlier. and. And increasingly, like I said, I'm talking to a lot of leaders about, you know, the challenges, the opportunities they continue to see. And, and I posted on LinkedIn a few days ago. It's not all doom and gloom. There are a lot of companies. We've got several clients that are doing really industrial manufacturing is doing well. Travel is doing well. We've got several tech clients that are doing well. And we've got startup clients, you know, friends that are raising capital. We're building a generative AI platform ourselves. So there's a lot that, that's going really well. Um, but in terms of, of, you know, needing to and wanting to do more with less, let me say that again, needing to, one is a necessity. The other one is a desire of let's really look at if we've got a lean team now, how do we really set them up to succeed? How do we create an environment where they can not just work their tail off doing a lot of things? And you've heard me say really important not to confuse vibration 
with forward motion, not to confuse busy work with, am I being productive? Am I being efficient? Am I being effective? So we talk a lot about creating a culture of accountability. What does that look like? Well, it starts with, I said it earlier, relationships go bad with misaligned expectations. You know, right now we're interviewing a couple of people to join our team. You know, we're having several calls in that interview process to just align expectations. Here's what I expect you to do. Here's what I'm, you know, your background, your skills, your, you know, here's what I'm looking for. You show up and deliver this, the gap is where we're going to have a problem. So very clear expectations of roles, responsibilities, kind of outcomes. Uh, one of the things that I'm a big fan of for the audience, revenue per employee. Revenue for employee tells you a lot about, you need two types, those who build it and those who sell it. Everybody else in the middle is a value enabler, but you want more of those value creators, right? So clear expectations. The, the, the goals, you brought it up, you know, alignment of, is everybody crystal clear on here's where we're going, here's how we're going to get there. And over the next quarter, here are the critical milestones that we've got to hit. You know, we have morning huddles where we get on the same page of what's happening this week. We kind of start and end our week as bookends of, did we get our, you know, sug list, serious, urgent growth list completed? So those are all opportunities to really create alignment. At some point, you got to empower people. The reason we brought up tools, you got to give them resources so they can, in fact, deliver on the commitments that that you know they're making and you're asking them to make. Um, you got to lead by example. You know, I, I, I'm having more and more coaching conversations with clients. Of look, this is leadership is not a it's not a spectator sport. You really have to roll up your sleeves and get in there and demonstrate. Go on calls, chief revenue officers. Go on calls with them. Yeah, we can all spouse of how difficult it is. For, get on calls with, with your BDRs and SDRs and, you know, get on marketing, you know, folks. Get out in the field. Go see customer engineering, development. Get out in the field. Go see customers because it would really help amplify your understanding of what's going to be happening. Um, regular feedback, you know, loop mechanisms obviously go a long way. Performance measurements. Brian Allen is a longtime friend from his time at City, and then he went, you know, before that it was at Samsung. You know, he's, he's writing a book, and we're working on, on this, and, and he's a big believer of simplifying performance measurements. I refuse to believe anybody wakes up on any given day deciding to fail. They just don't know how they're measured. So creating the right metrics where they're crystal clear on what am I there to do? What am I here to do on a regular basis? Um you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Ridge at WD40 who talks about we don't fail, we have learning moments. And he talks about how do you identify those learning moments. Uh, Amy Edmondson, I just got back from London at Thinkers 50. Amy Edmondson, I'm a big fan, Harvard Business School you know, professor, has written a book of, about the right, the right kind of wrong, right? So how do you learn from mistakes and failures? And she talks about intelligent failures. I think that's a huge part of that culture of accountability. Uh, again, we'll put the whole list uh, in, in the forum for the audience, but accountability mechanisms, how about reports and dashboards and regular reviews that hold individuals and teams accountable? Uh, I think we're we're hypersensitive of, I don't want to say something that's going to offend people. Listen, this is about performance. This is about you're here earning an income. You're here earning a salary, benefits. You're taking up that role and for that compensation, for that um, you know, it's expected of you to deliver a certain level of performance. If it doesn't happen, then we've got to work on something of 
How do we help you? How do, I'm a big believer of, I'd rather deal with devil I know versus devil I don't know. How do I help you? How can I help you deliver on the commitments you're making? Otherwise, I have no option other than go find somebody else who can deliver because I've been pretty clear on here's the expectations, here's the progress, here are the tools, resources, let's go get that done. Last thing I want to talk about is, is on that note, encouraging ownership. We need more entrepreneurs in our companies. We need people who genuinely believe I'm going to spend that money like it's my own. I wouldn't, you know, light a hundred dollar bill on fire. So why the hell are we wasting time, effort, resources on things that produce no results or no, they don't even move the ball further down the, the field. So that, that, that ownership, that, that accountability, that pride, signing your name to reports, uh, Hey, I'm proud of this. And here's what I'm delivering. I think those are all examples of, uh, of accountability. Jen, your thoughts. Well, I would also add that, uh, the accountability, the dashboards and reports and things like that shouldn't be tracking <clears throat> what you already should be doing. There already should be an expectation of this is what your, your role is and the out expected outcome. This should be above and beyond. Like, how are you tracking and impacting the actual outcome the business is trying to move towards. Um, and also the accountability, you said at the very beginning, creating a, a culture of accountability me means that we also have to create a, a culture of trust. And uh, at a previous company that I was doing work with, <coughs> we were fully remote. It was an all remote company. There was no headquarters and it wasn't it was part of the culture. It wasn't the hours that you were sitting there tied to your desk. It was the outcome of the work that you produced. And so if you could get that work done in two hours and go walk the dog and go to your kid's school and everything else, and you could still get your job done at an acceptable level, your time was yours. But if you couldn't, then, then there were mechanisms that were in place that the organization would either help figure out how to do your scheduling better, or it would allow you, uh, it would just give you more rigor of these are the things that we actually need you to do uh, in their career type uh, people that were working for the company. And so they needed help figuring out what their schedule should be. But uh, that culture of accountability, and it's also the willingness to not call each other out, but hold each other to your commitments. And so it's that collaborative goal setting and it's that continuous improvement and it's that feed forward that we've talked about and not being hypercritical on the failures, but looking at them as opportunities to adjust and find a better way to do it, to meet the goal that you're after. I, I also, I got to tell you, I love when, when you and I have walked into companies and you know, you, you talk to people or you spend a couple of days with them and We've sat on meetings and I got to tell you, one of my favorite phrases is kind of, I, 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 I got that covered or I'll take care of it or I've got your back. And, and what it conveys is really a, a, an encouraging, a supportive environment where people not just talk about it. And I think increasingly this is really difficult remote because, you know, when I sit in my home office in my pajamas and I'm still doing my work, I'm not getting that camaraderie. I'm not getting that. You know, it's very difficult to get that through a, through the Hollywood Square. But when I'm in the office and we sit or, or we're at an event and we kind of people have each other's back, you, you kind of feel that this place feels like a team. They feel like they bring. And I think increasingly that's getting more difficult. Or you see 
yeah, you know, I'm doing my job, but so and so is not delivering that report, or I can do so much, but I'm dependent on somebody else. And and I like smaller huddles. You and I've sat in on smaller group meetings where they genuinely feel like they're they're. It reminds me of the um the, the tug of war, right? Can you imagine like one person? Yeah, it's not my job. I I kind of held the the I I put the gloves on and I held the rope, but it's not my job to pull. I, are you, you know, are you kidding me? As we're all there to pull, and we're pulling against market forces that are just hell bent on throwing us over a cliff, right? So that accountability is also about collaboration. It's also about the the, the real, authentic relationship between people in that in that team. And I, I heard this from somebody else years ago, and it stuck with me. For leaders, if you really want to build a culture of accountability. Look for who people are cheering for and also look for who people are not cheering for. I, th I think it's a telltale sign of, and, and that's a really good analogy to think about, right? Does somebody have the right gloves on? They look good. They look the part. Look at me. My, I've got my cowboy boots, my jeans. I'm looking fabulous. And I've got my hand on the rope, but I'm not really pulling. Or I'm not really exerting myself because I don't want to pull that hard. Or you know what? I have a concert to go to tonight, and I don't want to. I don't want to be tired from my concert, so I'm not going to pull very hard on this tug of war rope that our entire team is is killing themselves over. So so open your eyes and ears and look for that, and it'll tell you a lot about the culture and about the team that you've you've assembled or you're working with. Those are all really great points. Uh, so I guess to wrap it up for today, definitely come check out the forum. If you haven't joined us in the forum, uh, it's just forum.avnir.com and you can get access that way. We'll put the various lists that we've talked about uh, in their entirety in the forum. But then also after uh, today's episode, we'll repurpose it as a podcast. And so if you weren't able to join us live, or if you want to listen again, just go to any platform that you consume podcasts on and just search for Intelligent Growth. We have two fantastic guests coming up next week. I'm really excited. Scott Edinger has been probably a 15, 20-year friend. He's got a brand new book out uh, called The Growth Leader. So Scott's going to join us. We're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun. We're going to pick on him. Just If you're listening, just in case, uh, no, we're going to have a lot of fun with him. He's a great guy, and he talks a lot about you know, growth as, as that CEO's job as well, not just the chief revenue officer. And then a more recent friend, John Barrows and I are, are uh, uh, LPs in the go-to-market fund. And he's going to talk about the, the age of the agile sales organization. I think it's really important to to really talk about the challenges that we're seeing in the sales organization. And, and John's going to be a great guy to talk about that. So next couple of episodes, we're live each Tuesday at noon Eastern. hope you'll continue... Uh, save the dates, save the calendar dates. Come join us if you can. If not, you can always watch the replays. And as Jen mentioned, just search for Intelligent Growth, whatever you consume podcast. On behalf of Jen Kors, I'm David Knorr. Thanks for joining us for the Avnir Intelligent Growth Live. We'll see you next time. Tuesdays, 11, uh, 11 Central, noon. I always get this wrong. Noon Eastern. Noon Eastern is when we're live. So we'd love to have you. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Intelligent Growth Podcast. 
Over the years, Jen and Noor have had the privilege of advising senior leaders and their teams on their go-to market strategies, creating world-class processes and capabilities, and integrating complex tech stacks. Now, it's their passion to share marketing, sales, and customer success insights and strategies that will help you transform your go-to market success. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For more, visit the website at avnir.com. See you next time on the Intelligent Growth Podcast.